Hello and welcome. This is the Bookshelf Sisters podcast. I'm Mary of Mary's Bookshelf and I work in partnership with Osborne Books, who are an award-winning children and YA book publishers. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm not an award-winning anything, but I'm Mary's sister. Okay, this is episode eight and are talking. we are talking today about the book Theatrical by Maggie Harcourt. It's a contemporary YA fiction set in Theatreland. I'm just going to give a quick summary of a plot. Hope Parker turns up for an interview to be a stage management intern. It's raining, she's 15 minutes late and she can't find where she's meant to go. She can barely string a sentence together, but she has a lot of experience, but also a massive amount of self-doubt from living in the shadow of her mother a famous costume designer, and her two high-achieving sisters. Hope is trying to go alone this time, so it doesn't tell her family about the new job. So the book is about showing how she, how will she cope with working on the play, facing new challenges, <laughs> falling in love, and making sure that the show goes on. Fantastic. We did a little discussion for book at our book group, didn't we, Mary? We did, and we had some input from a young reader, as well as our adult readership. Um, The young reader loved it, and she was a bit doubtful before she read it because it's not really her genre of book, generally. She likes sci-fi and magic-type stories, so this was a bit of a different one for her, but she really was really surprised, and she really loved it. Yeah, I think everybody found it really readable. I think the only person that was vaguely critical about it was me because everybody else uh, really liked the characters. They liked the setting. They thought the love story was really sweet. Um, I don't think there was much criticism at all. No, I'd agree. The only criticism I can remember, and it might have been from you actually, was the fact that she had all this time away from school when she was allowed to do this and it's probably not quite how things work in the British educational system and it's definitely set in the UK, not in America. Yeah, I don't think that worried me. Okay, it worried me that she was accumulating homework she wasn't doing but it didn't worry me that the school had let her do this because I don't really know what schools let people do these days. I think it was just a convenience so that uh, she could be more or less full-time in this job. I think the bit about the homework accumulating is part of a more generic general thing that I didn't like and which perhaps was unfair to dislike was all the time in the book, the main character, Hope, seemed to be a little bit scatty so she didn't do her homework she got piles and piles of paper and they all got confused and she was always late and this everybody else said enhanced her relatability but for me it just enhanced um my feeling of a slight irritation with her (laughs) Yeah, I think perhaps especially as to do that job, she would have needed to be very, very organised. But sometimes you find that people are very organised with one aspect of their life and that's why everything else around them 
is in a bit of a muddle. So that that's perhaps is why we all like that. <laughs> yeah, we can relate to it. <laughs> I think I think eventually looking through the book again as I have just done, I've come to the conclusion that actually this is meant to be part of her character for another reason, which is that she's probably slightly self-sabotaging because she has all these doubts about her own abilities and I think that's more what the author's trying to get at than to um, make us think that she's not capable of being organised. She is capable of being organised but she's um, also lacking confidence and gets herself into a bit of a mess because of that and maybe what this book is about is how she manages to recover her confidence and see that she can do this job and so I giving it a bit more credit now than I did when I first read it I think I think the problem is that people reading it may well react like me but the majority will probably react like the rest of the book group to think, well, actually, I can really relate to that. Yeah, we quite often in business talk about imposter syndrome, actually. And yeah. That's exactly it, isn't it? I hadn't really viewed it like that before, so I think that's quite perceptive and you're probably right. I think that's what's going on because that also comes up in relation to other characters as well during the course of a book hope discovers she's not the only one that doesn't think she can do her job properly she's actually dealing with a very difficult character this is one of the i think genuinely interesting parts of a plot and quite realistic is that in her job she has to deal with somebody who is really quite unpleasant to her he dumps work on her never says thank you so part of the book is about how she learns to deal with this particularly difficult character and how she comes to understand him and how how actually they form a sort of alliance because in some ways they have similar problems to do with confidence and imposter syndrome. I thought that was the bit of a plot that worked really, really well. I thought that a lot of the other problems were perhaps a bit more contrived. I love the way, though, that it captured Theatreland. And it's, I definitely feel it was the sort of book that I would have loved when I was a teenager. Absolutely loved. Because I always had a little hankering after doing some acting myself. And also, uh, I've been backstage with school children before at our local theatre. And I can sort of see the muddle of rooms and corridors and things behind it. So it really, really brought that to life. Um, it's obviously a lot bigger than sort of anything that I've been involved with. But it just sounded sort of so interesting and such fun as well. And such fun for the people that weren't just the actors, but the people that were running the show and putting it all together and getting it, you know, right for the night. Yeah, there's lots of bits in it that I loved, actually. And it had a good sense of humour in it. I like the way there was a little scene where uh, they sort of played a newbie's trick on Hope by telling her that she needed to get a long wait for the, you know, for the curtains and the stage balancing. 
but actually, really, they just wanted her to wait a long time, <laughs> which is really good, because you can sort of, I'm sure that's the sort of thing. That yeah, happens. I think that's probably where the book really does work well, because I think the author has had her own experience in working behind the scenes in the theatre, and she really brings that part of it to life, how people interact with each other, the things that they have to do, the things they shouldn't do. Um was it the dress rehearsal where they all had to wear black? I did find it was interesting, but that's what you had to do. You had to wear things that make you totally invisible because you're not you're not in the centre of it all. You're just making sure it works for everyone else. So I did like all of those things, but I don't know what you thought about the whole thing with the necklace. As soon as somebody says, oh, we've got this really valuable necklace that you've got to look after, what did you think was going to happen? Well, I thought it was going to get stolen, actually. <laughs> so, in fact, what happened was perhaps slightly more realistic in that it got... Did it get away with...? It got accidentally borrowed. <laughs> yeah, by the main actor's partner. And she didn't realise the importance of it. So that is the sort of thing that perhaps could happen. Although I feel it should have been a little bit more under lock and key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that whole Chekhov's gun syndrome. If you say that there's a gun in the first act, you know somebody's going to be shot by the third act. That's the sort of thing I think that was thrown in to beef up the plot. And I thought the way they handled that was good because um, they used quite a lot of... They tried out using the power of social media and I thought that was a nice modern twist to it all. Though maybe that will be the bit that uh, dates the fastest in the future years. So on the whole, I think I love the bits about the theatre and the bits that grew organically from that part of a job. I understand why the other bits about her gaining her confidence are in there, though they didn't work as well as I think they were meant to uh, for me, not for everybody. I quite like the interactions with her own family, but did get very frustrated that she didn't tell them what she was doing, which to me then meant that there was a lot of stuff. And again, a lot of things that added tension to the plot that to me felt, well, why not just tell them? And we didn't really get to explore the relationships more with her family, why she didn't like her sister so much and and all that, which was perhaps a little bit over the top. Although I don't know, as I'm an older sister, maybe. <laughs> maybe you feel that's true. <laughs> oh, no, no, not in this family, because she's, she's the youngest, so she's the one that was always um, treated like a baby by her sisters, and I think that's all meant to go with her confidence thing, like her two sisters are, are all out there and perfect, and she isn't. I could see why she wanted to prove her own worth because her mum was a very famous costume designer and up until that point, most of the things she'd done had sort of been perhaps aided along a little bit by her mum and she didn't want people to think that she'd only got this internship because of her mother. Although I think probably... It might have helped, even though she didn't know it, because I think the people running the show probably did know. Maybe the lady that took her on had an inkling. Yeah, maybe, because it did seem like she wasn't um, very good in her interview, but she still got the job. 
But maybe not because she people around the place didn't know, and I think that was the important thing. She'd had a confidence knock by by somebody coming into one of her other productions and saying and just saying, "Oh yeah, she's just there because of her mother," or "Or we know why she's there." And in fact, it sounds like she was really good at the job, and it was nothing to do with her mother in the other theatre, but she stepped back from working there because she just felt that whole whole thing had, had destroyed what she thought she was achieving. So I could totally see that she didn't want people to know about her mum. It was just harder to see why she didn't want her mum to know about what she's doing. But I think that kind of came off in the end because she knew that her mother would try and drop a word or give a bit of help. And it was about her. It wasn't just about her doing well in her job it was about her showing her family what she could do <laughs> and the other thing that people were a bit divided on perhaps was the love interest in it it, it was all a bit a little bit contrived and per- perhaps everyone said it was very sweet yeah i don't like that word really but in i think what they mean by that is uh, it didn't go into too much lovey-dovey sexual type relationship <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of why uh, YA fiction does. Um, and it was sort of a nice romance that didn't dominate the whole plot. But it did seem to be a bit over the top. But then I think people do have crushes at that age that sometimes are a bit over the top. I think why it's why we called it sweet is because they both obviously really liked each other. There wasn't a lot of conflict in it. Uh, there wasn't a lot of excitement about it. It was good and bad in the sense that you're saying it was good that it doesn't dominate the whole plot. It just felt, because it wasn't really tied in with a plot, it didn't feel as if it actually needed to be there except as a counterblast to her relationship with uh, the main actor to make sure that it was obvious that her love interest was not the same as the main actor who was too old for her. And, you know, what their relationship was more interesting than a love relationship. It was a sort of growing to know each other friendship relationship. And I think thematically the, her, her love interest fits in because he has a... He has a different background from her. He doesn't have a family. His parents were uh, killed in that convenient car crash when he was quite a young kid. So he's at, he's what he's doing is trying to make himself visible, whereas she's trying to... I was going to say she's trying to make herself invisible, but she's already invisible in her family. So there's something going on there, which um, the book tries to explain didn't totally get I thought maybe he would have famous parents who he was trying to be anonymous from even though they were dead but so it sort of worked thematically and sort of didn't quite I think she likes to put a little bit of romance into her books actually because we have both read another book by Maggie Harcourt which is called Unconventional and there is a little nod to it in this book, which is great, actually. And I didn't even spot it to start with. But the play they're working on is actually of a story that was being sort of promoted and published at this site, at this sci-fi convention in the, in the previous book. And two characters, the author and his 
love interest from the previous book is our feature just arrive at the theatre. They don't really feature in this book, but there is a nod to the the progress that perhaps has happened since since the other book. Yeah, it's quite nice that there's that continuity between the two. And I would say the difference between the relationship in Unconventional and the relationship in this book is that in Unconventional, the love interest is part of a plot. Because in Unconventional, the main character works behind the scenes running events like science fiction conventions as opposed to working behind the scenes in the theatre. And the person she gets involved with is a person that appears to be quite a difficult character. He's a upcoming new writer. He's not very much older than her, so it's a totally appropriate relationship to have. But they get off on the bat wrong footing, like Hope does with the star of a show in theatrical. So the relationship in Unconventional is central to the story, whereas the relationship in theatrical, the love relationship in theatrical is not central. So it's So I suppose in Unconventional, I found the relationship more interesting because it was central to the character Lexi solving problems with running that convention. More central to the plot, wasn't it? But they were both good and they're both really fun reads and it is nice that they connect together. She has now written another book that I haven't read yet, but that also looks very interesting and I don't think that will link up with these two. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the role that acting takes in this book. What do you mean? Well, this book reminded me when it started talking about acting of some of the books I did used to read. And perhaps this is the other role that uh, Luke, the love interest, plays, is he's actually a drama student. And so while Hope really wants to be behind the scenes... He's linking into this whole thing about the magic of acting. When the first time Hope looks at um, Luke acting, she says, it's a vanishing act. He's still wearing the same clothes, still has the same colour hair, same colour eyes, but everything about else about him is gone. He's someone completely new. There's a, a little bit here and there about kind of what it is to be an actor, what it means. Um, there's bits like the trick to acting is not acting. Or it's not about putting an extra layer of protection and pretending to be someone else. It's about taking them off and pretending they're you. It's reminded me of some of the things that when I used to read books about acting. These were children's books rather than young adults. And I don't know, Mary, if you read one by Pamela Brown. It was called The Swish of a Curtain. And they often seem to have this whole thing about the people that are really good at acting were not ones that looked like they were acting. They were just kind of became the person and suddenly something magical would happen and they would they would be that person. And I remember one, it might not have been that book, where they were actually going through the play and it had been really bad in all the dress rehearsals and then they get to the, to the performance and they just get to the point where they're in that zone. They're in the zone and they can actually all the things come together at once. And I think there's a sense of this in this book. There's a sense of this sort of trick of acting and there's very much so in the final performance when the uh, lead character who's been the person that she's had real difficulty with is having a bit of a wobbly time and it's it's kind of that, that balance between will he actually own the part and get out there and do it 
And she talks about him being lost in this land between being the character he's, he's being in the play and not, be, and not having been himself who knows he wants to do this. And I think all of that is really, really triggered my memories of, of reading books when I was growing up and how much I used to love that. That's really a tribute to Maggie Harcourt, actually, yeah. because I think she has used some brilliant language in this that makes, you know, that makes it really real. And perhaps it's a bit more unusual in YA contemporary fiction today to do description like that. So I think that's a real tribute to her and a real strength of the book, actually. Um, I don't remember Swish of the Curtain, but it's interesting that we have a, co- a theatre company here called Swish of the Curtain oh. in Bournemouth, which is for all the youngsters that are sort of want to act. And it's, you know, it's quite well known and you know, rated, I think. It's probably it's probably named after the book. They were about six or so of them and they were all about uh, children forming their own theatre company. Did you used to read the Nell Stretfield books? We're like ballet shoes. Oh, I remember them being in the house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the reason I'm going on about this a little bit is to try and tease out what the difference between the sorts of things that people write now is and what they wrote then the Nell Stretfield books we had around the the house, so a bit more about ballet, but there's also one called Curtain Up, which was about the theatre. And then there were lots of actual, lots of endless ballet stories. There's this whole series about Drina by um, an author called Mabel Esther Allen, who was writing his Jean Esterol. And then there were all the Sadler's Wells books, which um, you may or may not remember. So I'm interested in a couple of things. One is that they were it was they were big popular genres in their days, but I don't think you really get whole series of um, ballet books and theatre books these days, do you? Well, I'm just trying to think actually because I certainly got a little a little uh, book called Ballet Sh- Ballet Stories for Little Children, but they are really youngster ballet stories. And all the books I've seen have been targeted at much younger children. I can't think of anything that we've got in middle grade fiction that, that talks about ballet. I mean, I would say that the genre at the, at the time we were younger, young adult fiction wasn't really a thing. And probably a lot of the books that we read at that time, if they were published today, they would probably be middle grade fiction generally. But going towards young adult in some respect. Yeah, because it looked like the Sadler's Wells books. Um, I didn't realise how many of those there were either because I used to, I thought there about eight, but probably there about 20 of them. I probably stopped reading them at some point. But each of them <laughs> seemed to be about somebody who you would say now was a uh, young adult going off to the Sadler's Wells school and uh, proving their, their worth and then... As the stories develop, the characters in one story would get partners, so you'd be moving on into, like, they get married or whatever, and then you'd have a new person come in who was maybe helped by the previous characters to become stars in their own right. So it was an interesting formula. But I thought the other thing that's interesting about the formula and also comes through in the Noel Stretfield books is that um, it's kind of a way out of poverty. It's almost a class thing. The people in the books have some kind of talent. So in a lot of the Noel Stretfield books, like the Ballet Shoes, which is the archetypal story, they had no money because they were orphans and they had to go go on stage to earn money. 
and one of them was a talented actor, actress, and the other was talented at ballet, and one of them just wanted to be a car mechanic or fly aeroplanes, so she hated going on stage. But they never had enough money for their clothes. So it was almost seemed like having some kind of talent for acting was a way out of um, a different way of achieving in post-war Britain. I thought it was interesting because uh, now you maybe you don't have that element of it at all. It's much more about anxieties, about proving yourself. Also, there's a much less about this whole thing about you might have a talent or you might not. Like, I was rereading Noel Stretfield's Painted Garden because I didn't have a swish of a curtain, so I thought that might do instead. And people in that book either can or can't act, and also... Maybe the Stretfield ones aren't so young adults because the children have problems, but their parents help them solve them. Whereas I thought the big thing about Hope in theatrical is maybe she's a bit disorganised, but she's really good at solving problems. So she solves problems for adults. Just going back to our earlier discussion about what makes a book a YA book, I thought maybe that is a characteristic of a YA book that we hadn't suggested. I'm not sure it is, actually. I think it's a characteristic of books today, to be honest. Yeah. Because I I think that um, as a society, we we still recognise talent, but we also have this ethos that, you know, it's down to you what you achieve. And if you practice at things, you can, you know, anyone has the opportunity to do it. So I think that ethos has really changed. And... And that's particularly sort of pushed in, probably in our fiction, in Osborne's fiction, it's very much about, um, and, and it, just generally, I think, if you think about even the things like the David Walliams books, it's very much about the children sort of being in control and sorting out the adults quite often. Yeah, I do think that is something that has changed. So maybe it's not just young adults, maybe it's children as well, that they sort out the adults. Yeah, I think And maybe that's... <laughs> A change in how the relationship between children and adults since the post-war era and the current era. I think I think it's all fascinating. So that's, that's why I've kind of delved back into these older books is because I do find it's, it's really interesting how things have changed. And I suppose the other thing that I thought was different was like with the ballet books. It's, the first one's called A Dream of Sadler's Wells. And although it's Hope's dream to work behind the scenes at um, this theatre, it's not kind of quite the same thing as dreaming of being a ballet dancer. It's more of a career thing, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's probably, again, the sort of focus on careers and jobs and that not everybody can be win X factor, which is what all the kids want to do. That is the thing now, it's like they want to be a movie star, win X factor, or be a famous footballer. That's the other thing. Uh, those those are very, very much what I would say key stage two children aspire to, and possibly key stage three. I haven't got as much experience in that uh, at that age. So it's it's like now more of a thing to try and show young people that there are lots of other opportunities that not everybody's going to be in the limelight but they've still got very important roles to play because not everybody can be the winner of x factor 
Are there books about people going to X Factor school, talent school? I'm trying to think because I expect there probably is. So I'm going to go and have a look at our range of books and see whether there's anything sort of slightly comparable to that. Do you remember... I couldn't find them online because I couldn't remember exactly what they were. But there were also books about careers that people might have. And the closest I could think, find was something that was written by the same person as Adrena book. Uh, oh, no, by the Swish of the Curtains book, uh, Pamela Brown, was something called The Television Twins, which is about twins going into TV production. But I just had a vague memory that there also were some fictions that were about careers, like maybe air hostesses. I can't remember. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I'll have to have a think about that and a little hunt. Because I know that actually showing showing young people that there is lots of opportunities mm-hmm. to really shine um, is really important because otherwise, if you only aspire to one thing, and that is being the most famous footballer or being the talented X-Factor winner, you're going to be very disappointed in life. Actually, there was one book, I thought I forgot to say about the Lorna Hill series of (laughs) of, um, ballet books. There's one book called Backstage, which was, um, it wasn't actually about someone aspiring to be the backstage person. It was a person that had been grown up backstage. So I thought, oh, well, they do, they do. By the time you get to book 20, you do recognise that people actually make it work behind the scenes as well as in front. I'm going to definitely have a look now and see what I feel is perhaps a comparison. Yeah, that would be really interesting. And I will also have a think back on some of my older reads of what I used to read and what I used to think about things. Because this book has certainly struck me as one that I, I would have loved. I, I sort of stopped reading a little bit as a teenager, much, you know, you carried on, read loads. I think you used to read more teen, like slightly older books like Love Story and Midnight Cowboy and things that were were what maybe more mature children were into. Possibly, and comic, things like Jackie, that sort of thing. It was what there was of that young adult at that point, really, wasn't it? I mean, I can remember when I was younger, really enjoying Nancy Drew and detective type things. But I think by the time I got to the even 12, 13, I was probably not reading those. We used to go on to things like uh, detective crime fiction, Agatha Christie, because we, when we went into the, the grown-ups library, we got tokens and you could get token fiction. And that was either romance, western or crime I think I just had this sort of like teenage rebellion that I wasn't really, you know, hooked on reading. And we had a bit of reading to do for school, whereas I read things like Neville Shoot, I seem to remember, some Charles Dickens. Yeah, that famous YA author. (laughs) Neville Shoot, I really enjoyed when I was at school. And we had things like Lord of the Flies and Cider with Rose, but I don't really remember enjoying all that particularly. I I think it's Lord of the Flies. You know, traumatised a few people. Quite a tough book. Animal Farm, I think, was another one. I think you read all of those for school. Yeah, interesting books, but maybe not the same as what you'd choose for your leisure reading. No. And that's why I think that maybe I didn't do much leisure reading at the time. So sorry to admit that, everyone, as I really think that reading is great now. 
Right, well, I think that prob- probably we have got to the end of this podcast because we're starting to waffle on a bit. Hopefully everybody has enjoyed it. The next book we'll be discussing is actually, again, strictly speaking, not a young adult book. It's not classed as a young adult book, but it has been enjoyed by a wide range of age groups. And it's called The Shark Caller by Zilar Bethel. And it's set in Papua New Guinea. Ooh. So we'll be talking about that for our next episode. That sounds good, Mary. I shall look forward to reading that. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. Bye, everybody. And goodbye. (laughs)